At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Friday, the 27th day of October 2017, Pro Football Talk PM, PFT PM Podcast. Weekday, late afternoon excursion and everything happening in the National Football League. And things are happening this Friday afternoon. Here's what's happening on the show today. We'll talk to Benjamin Watson, Ravens tight end, first round pick of the Patriots back in 2004, and member of the NFL PA Executive Committee on Thursday night's game against the Dolphins, the hit on Joe Flacco and Dominican Sue, and the latest twist in the never-ending anthem controversy that happened a week and a half ago, came to light Friday morning, and has been the big talk of the day. But let me hold any discussion about that for a moment. And then, by the way, when we're done with Benjamin Watson, game-by-game, week-eight preview to wrap the show. A couple of items of business from Thursday night. And by the time you hear this, we may know the answer to the question. And it's actually two questions. What will the NFL do about Kiko Alonso's hit on Joe Flacco from Thursday night? And what will the NFL do about not one or two, but three incidents involving Indomitian Sioux? Two were flagged. One was a hand on the throat of backup quarterback Ryan Mallett, and the other one, a flattening of Ravens offensive lineman Ryan Jensen that took out an official as part of the back-and-forth tit-for-tat that occurred after Alonzo slammed his forearm and elbow into the head of Joe Flacco. Now, as to Sue, and keep listening to hear some candid comments from Benjamin Watson about Sue, but as to Sue, he's got a history And even without the history, his conduct reminded me a lot of the Odo Beckham Jr. Josh Norman skirmish from December of 2015. The only difference is there wasn't one guy that he kept getting it into it with. He got into it with multiple guys, but it was still the same guy from the Dolphins that was getting into these issues. And when the commissioner suggested automatic ejections for two of certain types of fouls, and I think he was thinking very broadly, personal fouls. Whether it's unnecessary roughness, unsportsmanlike conduct, two of these personal fouls and you're gone. The competition committee and the league ultimately narrowed it down to unsportsmanlike conduct. But the stuff we saw last night, I think, should be included in that rule. And I expect there'll be a push to expand that that rule. Because what the commissioner wanted to address was exactly what happened last night. And Indomitian Sioux should have been ejected last night. And officials don't like to eject in real time because they don't want to ever influence the outcome of a game. They'd rather defer to the league office to figure it all out after the fact. And so one of the questions is, what will the league do, the league office specifically, about Sioux's behavior? At a minimum, he's looking at three fines. The league has had good luck 
in recent weeks through the suspension and appeal process. They've suspended three different players, and that appeal process, remember, it's the closest thing to independent that the NFL has. Hearing officers who are appointed jointly by the league and the union. So this isn't the league's in-house judge, jury, and executioner system. This is independence. Three for three on suspensions. Danny Trevathan, Marshawn Lynch, and Andrew Sandejo suspended in recent weeks and upheld. I I think they'd be inclined to roll the dice on Sue, especially in light of his history. And if it gets overturned, so be it. And that leads to the other question, what happens with Kiko Alonso? He's the guy who came in hot and put his forearm and elbow into the helmet of Joe Flacco, knocking the helmet off, knocking the chin strap off of the helmet simultaneously, rendering Flacco clearly concussed. Now on Friday, Alonzo's head coach, Adam Gase, said, Kiko's in a tough spot. It's not like a true slide that you normally see. He's kind of half in, half out, so it's a tough play to tell a guy what to do. If he just completely stays away from Flacco and he keeps running and gets the first down, we all say, what are you doing? Finish the play. I don't completely agree with that because it was a slide. I mean, it was an awkward, tall, lanky guy slide, but he was in that posture where he's giving himself up. Alonzo came in and hit him in the head. Now, maybe the contact is unavoidable, but coming in and hitting him in the head when he's in that feet-first posture, that's a foul, and... In light of what they did to Trevathan for putting Devontae Adams in the hospital and Sendejo for giving Mike Wallace a concussion on Sunday. In light of that, you got to suspend him. If you don't suspend Alonzo, the problem is, as you try to coach these guys, you don't know what to tell them. And as a coach, if you don't really know whether or not a guy's going to get suspended... You're not going to have that clear, bright line that you coach them to and say, don't cross this line or you will be suspended. And I know it's not the easiest thing to coach, and I know things happen, but still, the forearm to the head, the elbow to the head, that whole area, the helmet off and the concussion, you put all that together and you got to sit him down for a game. You have to. With Sue, I think it's a closer question. But I won't be surprised if both guys are suspended. And you know what? The time of day that I'm recording this, there's a chance by the time we're done, we'll have an answer. So I'll keep talking. Here's something else to talk about. At the ownership meeting in New York City a week and a half ago, on Tuesday there was a meeting of, in the morning, some owners i.e. not the ones that would potentially cause trouble with the players, and some players to try to continue a dialogue and figure out how best to support the causes that underpin the anthem controversy. And then later in the day, they had a meeting. This was either Tuesday afternoon or Wednesday. There were other meetings where the owners were trying to figure out what they're going to do. And at one point, Texans owner Bob McNair, when discussing how to handle this issue, said, we can't let the inmates run the prison. Which is a fairly common figure of speech. Typically, it's phrased as inmates running the asylum. And it's a reference to the idea that there are people who are there to be managed, and then there are the managers. It's like saying we can't let the students run the school, although that's not as catchy as inmates running the asylum. McNair's apologized. 
McNair apologized at the time because Troy Vincent, the executive VP of football operations, was offended and said so. To his credit, and at a, at a certain level of jeopardy to his ongoing employment, you stand up in the meeting and you say you're offended by what one of the 32 bosses of the league said. You're tiptoeing on some thin ice. But he made it clear he was offended. McNair apologized. And now McNair has publicly apologized. But that's not good enough. Because Dwayne Brown, who just returned four days ago, I bet Bob McNair wishes Dwayne Brown hadn't come back. But if it wasn't him, it probably was going to be somebody else. Brown admitted to reporters after practice on Friday that the players considered a mass walkout. And ultimately, it looks like receiver DeAndre Hopkins did walk out. They gave him a personal day, so it doesn't create a problem. But it looks like Hopkins walked out as a reaction to what McNair said. And Dwayne Brown had some strong comments, and he said it's not over. It's not over. Now, look, to the extent that any team consisting of players who are upset about this or anything else is thinking about walking out, please talk to your union representative. Please talk to the NFL Players Association management because the consequences financially of an illegal strike are significant. And the CBA, like most collective bargaining agreements between management and labor from sea to shining sea, they contain a no-strike, no-lockout clause that for the term of the agreement, the owners can't lock out the players and the players can't strike. There are limited exceptions. I haven't researched them recently, but I don't think the owner of a team saying something that offends some players is enough to trigger that. But we now have to see how this plays out. And look, how can it manifest itself? Well, okay, we can't leave, but you know what? My knee hurts. I may have a concussion. My hamstring hurts. I don't feel well. There's all sorts of different ways. And we usually say this in relation to a guy who chooses not to hold out. Because the alternative to holding out is holding in. And saying, I think I have a headache. I think I'm dizzy. I think my hamstring is sore. I don't think I can play today. And there have been guys in the past, surely, who haven't gone all out because they haven't been happy about their contracts. I mean, look, at a certain point, pride takes over and competitiveness takes over. And I'm not suggesting that that the Texans are going to throw the game on Sunday. But my point is, the alternatives aren't walk out or everything is fine. There are categories of things that can happen if the players don't walk out that are still bad. And they may be hard to prove. And this is a mess. It's not over, Dwayne Brown says. This is a mess. And now Bob McNair, Bill O'Brien, team leadership, player leadership, they have a lot to do and not much time to do it. They have a game in Seattle on Sunday. They have a huge distraction now. And they got to get this fixed. They've got to make this right. And I don't know that they can make it right. But they better try. Because the Texans coming out of their bye week, feeling pretty good about where they are, thanks to something that the owner said that wouldn't have been reported but for the efforts of Seth Wickersham and Don Van Natta of ESPN the magazine. And McNair didn't deny it to his credit. But now they've got a mess created by the owner. And this anthem issue that comes and goes and ebbs and flows. Now, here we are, another Friday, five weeks after, 
the commander-in-chief said as to any owner out there, or he wished that any owner or some owner or at least one owner would say to a player who doesn't stand for the anthem, get that son of a bitch off the field. We have another common figure of speech that is being interpreted literally and causing offense. Now, with that said, I don't think the players should be bothered by the language as much as they should be bothered by the message. Because the message is, you're not our equals. The message is, you aren't the NFL. The message is, we run the show and you work for us. And you don't tell us how it's going to be. We tell you how it's going to be. We make the rules. You follow the rules. And even though you may think we're partners because we split the money, we don't split the equity. We own the teams. And we're going to be owning the teams long after your playing careers are over. Period. That's the message. So basically, why should we be giving these guys a seat at the table? Why should we be letting them think they have a voice in the management of the league? Let's just change the rule that requires them to be on the sideline and says that they should stand for the anthem. Let's change should to must. Now, there weren't enough owners, weren't nearly enough owners, who believe that. And I don't know that McNair believes that. I know Jerry Jones does. And not many others do. Maybe Daniel Snyder believes that. But that attitude, we're not partners, we're not friends. You work for us. We're the boss, you're the employee. Act accordingly. That's the message. And you know what? That, that just may be a blunt, candid assessment of the reality of the situation. But if that's the case, fine. Then don't act like we're friends. Don't act like we're partners. Don't act like you care what we think in an effort to persuade us to choose to stand for the anthem. Let's drop the facade and let's call it what it is. Here's what it is. It's a power play. And for once, we got the power. We have the power because you can't force us to stand. And we dare you to change the rule and tell us we must stand because you know what's going to happen if you do. And one thing that will happen, I'm convinced, there will be a legal skirmish over whether or not the NFL has the right to tell them they must stand without bargaining. And that's the key. And this is where you take the principles and the causes and everything that led to not standing for the anthem in the first place. And you set it aside and you say, look at what we have here. We have an issue on which the players, for a change, possess the upper hand. How about that? And let's think back to 2011. Who was ready to shut down the league for the whole season? Was it the players? No. It was the owners. The owners were ready to light the fuse on a big-ass bomb to get what they wanted. They had the leverage. They had the upper hand. And they squeezed, and they squeezed, and they squeezed some more. And what happened? When the time came to decide, do we miss game checks? Do we miss revenue? The players blinked. The players didn't have the will. The owners won. Now, they still got a good deal under the circumstances. But ultimately, the players were not going to miss game checks. The owners knew it. And the NFL Players Association negotiated the best deal it could under those circumstances. Armed with a rank and file that had no interest 
in giving up game checks. Six years later, players have the upper hand. And you don't want it to come off as mercenary. And you don't want it to come off as cynical. And you don't want it to come off as taking unfair advantage of the important principles that caused players to choose to sit or kneel for the anthem in the first place. You don't want to undermine that by turning it into a business issue. But, 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 if we can't have the inmates running the prison, guess what? The inmates have a path not to control the prison, but at least to take over one wing of the prison. They have a legitimate in-house committee that they can put together to put the warden in a tough spot. And if that's the attitude, regardless of the words chosen, if the attitude is, you work for us on this issue, oh, no, 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 you work for us. That's what the players need to take out of this, and they need to funnel it in that direction. Don't undermine the integrity of the game. Don't hold in. Don't walk out. Don't. Honor your commitments under the CBA. Honor your commitments under your individual contracts. But, but, make sure that the owners understand that this anthem issue is only going away through collective bargaining that results in the players agreeing that they will stand for the anthem and in return for that getting something. It's not for me to decide what they get, but you get a big bucket of something. And see, the tables are finally turned here. Anytime someone complains about all the power the NFL has under the disciplinary procedures, via the personal conduct policy, substance abuse policy, PED policy. Anytime there's a complaint, well, take it up with your union. Your union agreed to this. And if they want to change it, then we'll meet at the bargaining table. Fine. That's good. We will meet at the bargaining table. And you guys are the ones who drafted the policy that says that we should stand for the anthem. Now you want to say we must stand or else you can't do that to us without bargaining. We'll meet you at the bargaining table. That's where this needs to go. And if the players are upset about what McNair said or the underlying message or both, meet them at the bargaining table and make it clear to them that's the only way you're ever going to end this issue. You're going to make one hell of a concession to get us to agree to stand. Sorry. Sorry. It's exactly what you would do to us, and you've done it to us multiple times, and now, damn it, we're doing it to you. All right. Benjamin Watson, Ravens tight end. Here's the interview, and listen carefully because... He's in Thursday night mode. He was dealing with, you know, whatever issues you deal with on the Friday after a game. He didn't know about what McNair said. He finds out next. Here's my interview with Ravens tight end Benjamin Watson. Okay, as promised, a man who has been a fixture in the NFL since he was a first-round draft pick of the New England Patriots back in 2004. Still going strong. Now, all these years later, he is Ravens tight end Benjamin Watson. Benjamin, welcome to the program. How are you, pal? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Hey, I'm doing great. And you had a big night last night. You had a touchdown catch in that 40 to nothing win over the Miami Dolphins. Why in the world did it look so easy last night for the Ravens? You know, it's really a matter of, you know, and, and this goes for, for any week that you play in the NFL. It's about execution. It's about who comes ready to play. And, um, you know, there have been games when we've come out 
and we haven't performed very well, and we've been on the other end of that 40 to, 40 to nothing. Um, they haven't us in London, and so really it's, a, it's really a, a testament to the way we prepare. We had a short week. Um, guys prepared very well. Uh, we, we weren't able to practice, you know, really full speed, but we, we got a lot of mental work in, and then we translated that onto the field and came out and started fast. When you start fast, uh, we play a lot better than when we start slowly. In hindsight, now several weeks removed, Benjamin, what is it that happened in London? What went wrong against the Jaguars? I would say it was the complete opposite. <laughs> I would say that they came out and started fast. They moved the ball on us up and down the field. We went three and out on offense multiple times, gave them the ball back. Their front four uh, dominated us in, in a lot of different ways. Their running game, the running attack with Fournette was on point. And uh, before we looked up, it was the second quarter, and we were already down by multiple touchdowns. And whenever you're in that situation, you know, we were on the – the top end of that last night, but whenever you're in that situation and you look at the clock and it's the second quarter, you're already down three touchdowns, it's very hard to come back from that in this league. It can be done, um, but a lot of things have to go your way uh, in order to, to dig yourself out of that hole. It's almost like we have to update the old cliche on any given Sunday, any team can beat any other team. It, it now is on any given Sunday, any team can blow out any other team. It is. Any given Sunday, any given Thursday, any given Monday, uh, and whenever they decide to add any more days, um, <laughs> anything can blow out any team. Any given I mean, day. you know, this is, this is the NFL. What, what do you think about Thursday night football? What do I think about that? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's tough on the body. It is. And I was, I was talking about this with someone else. Um, when, you're, when you're healthy and you play on a Thursday night, you go from one Thursday night to another Thursday night, um, it, it's great. You're ready. Um, when you're banged up like I was the last week and, and wasn't able to practice and was struggling to make, to make it to game time, um, those those few days uh, go by quickly, and you really wish you had some more days to get ready for, for like a regular Sunday game. So the, the Thursday night games, um, you know, obviously there is uh, somewhat of a market for for it. People people watch the games, uh, but as a player, it's tough. It's, it's a quick turnaround, and if you have any sort of bumps and bruises, if you have any sort of injury. Um, whether it be a head injury or whether it be something orthopedic, uh, it makes it very difficult for you to make that turnaround because your body just doesn't have time to recover. And the good news, if there is any on the back end, you have a bit of a mini buy. You'll have three extra days to get ready for your next game, and your quarterback, Joe Flacco, is going to need it. He took that wicked hit last night from Kiko Alonso. Where were you when that play happened? I was actually on the sideline. Um, I was out of the game at that point. Um, my personnel group wasn't in, and I was watching it, and he was running to our sideline kind of ahead of where I was. Uh, and, and I was watching him and watching the big screen simultaneously trying to see where the first down marker was. And I was excited that he took off. He looked good running, didn't he? Oh, he looked <laughs> uh, great. He took off and ran. At, yeah, he did. And, um, you know, when that collision happened, um, the reaction from our sideline, from our fans, as well as the guys on the field, uh, it, it was a vicious hit. And, um, you know, obviously you never – uh, there are certain guys, but <clears throat> Alonzo Kiko is not one of those that I would make in any sort of assumption about his intent. Um, but but it's you know football is a fast sport; those things happen. It's a coming upon the defense to come in hands first, especially when it's a quarterback. And a lot of times the defense are hamstrung. It's tough for those guys. You know they're running trying to trying to hit a quarterback. They don't know if he's going to keep running, if he's going to slide. But that's why they you know coaches teach. At least our coaches teach. Um, uh, the guys on defense that when the quarterback is running, you have to be prepared for him to slide, and you can't. You definitely cannot leave with the shoulder. So the fact that the referees, you know, they made the right call. They threw a flag. It was obvious. And, uh, you know, our hope is that Joe uh, gets better quick, quickly and that he's healthy. And, you know, seeing him 
go down like that. You never want to see a player go down like that, but but I think he, he's going to be all right in the long run. Were you one of the restrainers or one of the guys who had to be restrained on the sideline? Well, I was on the sideline, and so as soon as I took a step toward the field, we had multiple coaches, strength coaches, assistants, trying to tell guys to stay back. Um, you never want to see a situation where the entire bench is flood. Um, there's a lot of emotion in football, as you know. It's a it's a night game, a national televised game. It's, it's on a Thursday night. Uh, it's an AFC opponent. There's all those those things coming together, and so whenever you know there's a hit on your quarterback, who is obviously the leader of your team, nobody wants to see that, and and it, it was very uh, emotional for everybody. But I, I think our coaching staff did a great job of of making sure the guys that weren't already on the field, uh, you know, stayed off the field because that could have led to, you know, a penalty on us, which is what we didn't want. Unfortunately for us, we were able to go down and, and, and get points after that. Joe's not going to be able to talk to the media until he's cleared from the concussion. Did you get a sense last night or today how he's doing? Uh, I don't know for sure, but um, I do know that he is, uh, that our doctors do a good job with that protocol. Um, you know, he's, he obviously t- took a big shot. But um, I haven't had a chance to really, you know, sit down and, and talk with him about how we, how he's doing. But um, my hope is that, you know, by the time we get back, we're going to have a couple of days off here, uh, which is going to be good. And by the time we get back, hopefully he'll be feeling much better. Hey, Benjamin, what's your thought on Ndamukin Sue? He had two fouls last night. He had his hand on Ryan Mallett's throat at one point. There was another instance in connection with the Flacco hit where he wiped a guy out, took out an official, wasn't flagged for that. What do you think of him as a player? Do you think he crosses the line and the NFL should do something about what happened last night? I think he's crossed the line since he's been in the league. Um, years ago, I was playing with the, with the Browns, and I remember him body slamming uh, Jake DeLone. We were playing when he was in Detroit. I mean, there's been numerous times he's stomped on Aaron Rodgers. There have been numerous times where he's done things that are totally unacceptable in our league and things that, um, you know, as a player, we all go out there and give our very best uh, give our best effort. We prepare. We provide for our families. This is our life's work. And for someone to come out and do things outside of the game, he's a dominant player. He's a powerful player. He's a guy who can totally take control of a game. He's that guy that you have to say, hey, we have to make a certain protection for this guy because he's that good of a defensive player. And so for him to go the extra mile and to do things to to hurt people or maybe he thinks it's intimidating people, there's no place for it in the game. And um, what he did last night is, is kind of his M.O. Uh, that's what he's been doing since he's been in the league. Uh, he, he gets fined and keeps on going, and I hope the league looks at what he did last night and then punish him accordingly. The big story of the day league-wide, Benjamin, relates to comments from Texans owner Bob McNair that were made last week at the league meetings. They have made their way out to the media. He's issued an apology for his choice of words when he said at that meeting, we can't have inmates running the prison. Your reaction when you heard that comment from Bob McNair? Honestly, uh, I hadn't heard those comments yet. I think because I, I was in this Thursday mode, I hadn't heard it. Could you clarify those for me? Sure. There was a report from ESPN, the magazine, from the events that happened last week <clears throat> at the league meetings. And this was from a session with <clears throat> the owners and people from the league office, not with players present. And Bob McNair said at one point during that meeting, we can't have the inmates running the prison. And that has sparked a strong reaction by Texans players who admitted they nearly walked out of practice on Friday. So this thing is wow. taking off. And you're, so since you're hearing it fresh, what's your reaction when you hear that comment? Now, McNair's apologized for the choice of words, but there's a message there, yeah. a deeper message there that I think is just as troubling. But what's your reaction? 
There definitely is. Well, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when someone says something um, deliberately, uh, we, we, we get a peek into how they feel. We get a peek into their heart. Um, you know, I, I'm glad he's, he's apologized. You know, sometimes we all say things that we wish we hadn't, and, and I'm glad that he, uh, you know, that decided to apologize for his comments, and, and I, I, I respect him for that. Um, I, obviously, um, I, I don't agree with what he said, but, but, but there's, a, there's a, a reason why he said that, and that's, maybe that's how he likes to speak. I can't speculate. On, on those things, but, um, you know, I, 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 I'm glad he at least is, is, is apologized for what he said, and there's, there's really no, no place for that. And the explanation is it's a common figure of speech, and I've heard it in many different contexts, but the deeper message that I take away from it is it's a reminder that the players don't run the league, that we run the league, you should know your place, we're in charge, and I think that's more troubling than the choice of words, and I don't know how we make any real progress on the anthem issue if the attitude of ownership is... This is our thing, and you just work for us. Well, that, that's that's definitely you know a feeling, and you're right. I have heard that before, but to use it uh, for for guys that are your employees, um, I think that takes it to another level. When you look at the at the atmosphere that we're in right now, when it comes to the national anthem, when it comes to players, when it comes to uh, social injustice, uh, when it comes to all the things that that are are the hot button issues right now, no matter where you stand. Obviously, a comment like that feeds into that. Um, and, and so, you know, for, for the players on the Texans, I understand why they were upset. Um, I would be upset too, but it, it's not just them. I, I think players around the league, um, and, and, and definitely owners as well, you know, probably w- wouldn't agree with um, his choice of words and, and really his, his ideals when it comes to that. Hey, Benjamin, before I let you go, I know you got other things to do today, the day after a game, and I appreciate you taking some time. You're a member of the NFL Players Association Executive Committee. This anthem issue has been, at from time to time, full boil over the last five weeks. How do you see it ultimately playing out? Well, I think we're making progress. We, we, there, is a, there is hope there. Um, a lot of times uh, it's not about conflict. It's about how you handle conflict. Conflict is going to happen. Uh, conflict happens in relationships and marriages. It happens in our country. It happens in the very inception of our country. There was conflict, and how we handle the conflict kind of determines how we come out on the other side. And so, uh, the, the the great thing is that there's some listening going on. There's some dialogue, some constructive dialogue, um, which is which is what um, Commissioner Goodell said he wanted to have at that meeting, which is what is not happening in the public forum a lot of times when it comes to these anthems. And so, when you have owners, when you have players. Uh, leadership, uh, when you have the, the, the commissioner, we have people in the community um, coming together, um, and, and even if they don't agree, at least hearing from one another, um, hearing each other's thoughts, hearing why, um, the reasons why someone is, is making an action. You can never um, put your ideas into someone else's protest. I can't tell you why you're protesting. I have to hear it from you. And so it's really important that we hear that from people that are protesting why they're doing it, and then we can come together and say, okay, can we make some sort of solution? Can we have some sort of, of constructive dialogue here? And, and, and can we change some things together? Or, or maybe not together, but, 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 but where do we go from here? And so, you know, with the, with the whole Anthem, Anthem deal, um, I think that we are in a place, we're in a very crucial place right now. We're at a tipping point. But, but I do feel, just in, um, in conversations that I've had, um, with with people in the NFL as well as 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 owners, our owner as well as other players, 
um, that things are starting, at least internally. I can't speak so much for the for the outside, but at least internally in the NFL that, that this thing is starting to move in the right direction and it's incumbent upon all of us to uh, to continue to listen and to continue to express ourselves clearly, to continue to be respectful um, when, we, when we feel like we want to butt heads sometimes um, and continue to, to strive to, to understand each other uh, even when we have great differences. Benjamin, very well said, and congratulations on everything you've accomplished throughout your career in the NFL dating back to 2004. And here's hoping that it will continue a lot longer because it's a great inspiration for the young players. You're a great leader, both at the league level and at the team level, and we appreciate everything you do, pal. Thanks, I really appreciate it. Hopefully talk to you soon. Thanks again to Benjamin Watson for some of his time. Day after the game, a lot of things he needs to do. I could have talked to him for a lot longer, and maybe we'll talk to him again sooner than later. Great, great guy, and uh, the NFL needs more players like that. Okay, Sunday. Six teams off this weekend. By weeks for six teams, that means three fewer games than usual. Only 13 total games for the weekend. One on Thursday, one on Monday. That means, if my math is correct, and it really is 11 games on Sunday. And it starts early morning in London. Vikings at Browns, the fourth and final London game of the year. Browns 0-7. Vikings surprisingly 5-2. Case Keenum again for the Vikings. Deshaun Kaiser again for the Browns. And... A lot of people think that ultimately what will happen with the Browns, they lose and Hugh Jackson perhaps gets fired. I don't know that that's the case because I don't know who they replace him with if they fire him. There's no offensive coordinator. That's great insulation against getting fired, isn't it? If you don't have an offensive coordinator that can take your place. Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator, does he take the job, the mastermind of the bounty scandal. 1-23 over the last two years, 0-8 this year, if they lose on Sunday to the Vikings. I think somebody is going to find out between London and Cleveland that it's over. And I tend to think that it's more something that should be directed to the front office, specifically whoever decided to pass on Carson Wentz and or whoever decided to pass on Deshaun Watson. Also on Sunday... The Jets will be hosting the Atlanta Falcons. The Atlanta Falcons have had a rough time with the AFC East. They've played three straight games against AFC East teams, and they've lost them all to the Bills, to the Dolphins, to the Patriots. And now the last team in the AFC East, the Jets. And the Jets are far better than anyone thought they would be. And the Falcons are far worse. Offensive hiccups with the transition from Kyle Shanahan to Steve Sarkeesian. I feel like just this is time. If the Falcons are going to have any shot at being competitive this year, this is the time to rise up and win a game. Isn't rise up? I didn't mean that. Rise up is like one of their slogans. They need to rise up. And the Jets coming off of that game they had in hand last week, deflating experience, up 14. They blew the lead. They had the late interception. I feel like the Falcons are ever going to win another game this year. It's going to happen this week. And the Falcons have the horsepower to get it done. They just have to go out and do it. And I think they will. Panthers-Buccaneers get together 1 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday. Feels like an elimination game, at a minimum for the division title. Even with the Panthers at 4-3, and three, they lose, they fall to 4-4, four and four, but they're just going to feel, you know, three straight losses, it's, it's going to feel like it's falling apart. For the Buccaneers, it is falling apart. They're 2-4. and four. They lose this one, fall to 2-5, and five, they're done. They're done. And then the question becomes, how deep does it go? 
for the Buccaneers. How bad are they and what changes are made by the team? And the one thing we know about that organization, they are not patient like the Steelers, Giants, or Panthers would be. They make changes when expectations aren't met and when, or, you know, in this case, they are badly missed. So the loser of this game's got issues, real issues. The winner of this game isn't going to be in great shape either. But the Panthers have weathered storms before and then found the gas pedal again, and that could be what ends up happening. I like the Panthers in that one, but who the heck knows? Eagles host the 49ers. The best team in the NFL faces one of the worst. 6-1 and one versus 0-7. Doug Peterson was on PFT Live Friday morning, and he made it clear it's on him to make sure that the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed, the team is ready. You can't let the team be complacent. They're on a short week. The Eagles are. Don't just feel like you can show up and win. The 49ers played several teams tough. They almost beat Washington. They almost beat Arizona. They almost beat the Rams. And I feel like they gave up last week. I feel like they're finally broken. You know, we keep trying and trying to win. We get disappointed every week. And now, ah, screw it. But this is their opportunity. If I'm Kyle Shanahan, I say to my players, look, we're not going to the playoffs this year, but we're trying to build something. And this is our playoff game. Whatever we do the rest of the way, if we can go into Philadelphia and beat the Eagles, who are destined to make it to the postseason, Maybe by next year, we really will be competitive. We'll learn how to close these games. We'll learn how to win these games. And the next thing you know, we'll be the team that's 6-1, eight weeks in. I don't count on it happening. But we always say that, boy, we didn't see that coming. Every once in a while, it's nice to say, hey, I saw that coming. I'm not going out on that limb, though. I don't think I am. I thought last week the 49ers would give the Cowboys everything they could handle. So I'm not going to fall for that banana in the tailpipe two weeks in a row. All right, Bears at the Saints. Bears are 3-4. and four. Last year they were 3-13. and 13. So, so far so good this year. They beat the Panthers last week throwing seven passes. Great defensive performance. And they're going to need everything they can muster on both sides of the ball. Bears at Saints. And the Saints are very, very good. The Saints have won four games in a row. The Saints were written off. Remember when there were eight 0-2 teams and we were trying to project which 0-2 team would turn it around? I don't think the Saints were one of the teams we were saying, hey, they could turn it around. They have. And I think they keep it going. And they move to 5-2. and two. And I think the Saints, the Seahawks, and the Eagles are the three teams to really watch in the NFC the rest of the way. All due respect to the Vikings and the Lions. And the Cowboys. And Washington. Chargers at Patriots, a sneaky good game on Sunday. Both teams have won three in a row. The Chargers were written off when they started 0-4. The 92 Chargers, the only team that went 0-4 and ultimately made it to the playoffs. Tony Dungy thinks the Chargers can win this game. Stats pick the Chargers, too. Let's see. Tony Dungy, stats. Tony Dungy, stats. I wonder whose opinion carries a little more weight. (laughs) I like the Patriots. I think the Patriots are finding their groove. They're hitting the accelerator, as Tom Brady said. Even without Dante Hightower, David Harris steps in. They'll be fine defensively. As long as Brady is fine, they'll be fine. And I know that the Chargers have that pass rush and Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. But Brady is very adept at getting away from the outside rush. It's the inside rush that gets him. He knows how to step up and slide in the pocket. Now, it's possible Bosa put out one of those big giant meat hooks and take him down. 
But I think that the Patriots will be able to withstand this storm. Not that the Chargers are done. They could come out of this thing losing a close one and feeling even better about their ability to be competitive in a suddenly tight AFC West. The Raiders have finally won a game after three straight losses. Four straight losses. Jeez. In the AFC West. Four-game losing streaks. The norm now this year. The Chiefs are on a two-game losing streak. The Broncos are on a two-game losing streak. The Raiders ended up a four game losing streak by beating the Chiefs last Thursday night. And you kind of undermine what you do and what you did in that Thursday night game if you blow this one at Buffalo. I don't think the Raiders will. I'm not saying Amari Cooper is going to have another 210-yard night. I'm not saying Derek Carr is going to have 417. And I think the Bills could maybe control the clock and keep the Raiders' offense frustrated by keeping it on the sideline. But I like what the Raiders will do and can do for the second week in a row, making the AFC West even more competitive going forward and bunching it up and making it a great race down the stretch. Colts at Bengals, who cares? Bengals win. Colts are falling apart. Just a matter of time before Chuck Pagano gets fired. Jim Irsay should have fired Chuck Pagano when it wouldn't have been firing him, would have have simply been saying to him, well, your contract's expired. We're going to hire a new coach, and it's not you. Period. They still have a lot more work to do. Chris Ballard has his hands full as general manager of the team. When is Andrew Luck going to be back? I still think that they know he's not going to play this year, but they're trying to hold the fan base together. And at the top of it all is owner Jim Irsay. And you know what? The fact that they even won a Super Bowl last decade is amazing in hindsight because I just feel like Irsay is perpetually going to screw this thing up. And he doesn't have anyone there to tell him, just go play your guitars and, and, and let the football people run. The operation. He needs a really strong GM who will stand up to him like Bill Polian did and tell him, hey, hey, Jim, if you want a winner, get the hell out of here. Let us run the show. Don't talk. Don't tweet. Just play your guitars and enjoy the games. And you can carry the trophy when we win it. But just stay out of our way. Until that happens, Colts aren't going to turn anything around. Texans at Seahawks. Turmoil now for the Texans. I don't know what's going to come out of this Bob McNair thing. I've already got people suggesting this is going to be like Donald Sterling and the L.A. Clippers, and he's going to have to sell the team. I don't think it's going to get that far. But in the short term, it's going to be a mess. And I don't know that they can turn it around this quickly. Five weeks ago, the Donald Trump remarks at the Alabama rally created a major distraction for a lot of teams, and it killed several teams. It made it impossible for those teams to win. This is the team most affected by the Bob McNair comments. I think it makes it very difficult for the Texans to go to Seattle and win. Not that they were going to anyway. I think it's even harder now. They got to fly to Seattle. They got to process all this. They got to fix all this. A, a problem that is unprecedented in the modern day NFL, if not ever in league history. I don't think Bob McNair is going to press the right buttons and say the right things and get this solved. The big game, the only 425 Eastern kickoff this week, Cowboys and Washington. And, you know, I. I I'm not trying to come up with a hot take here. I'm being honest about how I feel when it comes to this game. I think Washington's better. And I think Monday, what we're going to be saying is, hey, Washington's better than Dallas. Dallas has three wins and three losses. Washington, three wins and three losses. Dallas has beaten the Giants, the Cardinals, and the 49ers. BFD. Washington has lost twice to the Eagles in fairly close games. It was 10 points the other night, and it was a 17-point margin at one point, but Washington was in it into the second half. And they also lost to the Chiefs in a close game. I think this is going to be 
a good game, and I think Washington is going to win. And I think we're going to say on Monday, Washington is better than Dallas. I can't get past the blowout loss to the Broncos. I can't get past two straight home games where they had double-digit leads and they blew it. Too many flaws on this Dallas team, and they may not make the playoffs. It may be, right now, I'm looking at the NFC. Philadelphia, Minnesota, New Orleans, Seattle. And the wild card teams, I don't know. The Rams and Washington? The Rams and Detroit? The Rams and Carolina? I don't think it's going to be Dallas this year. And I especially will be thinking that if Washington wins on Sunday. And then finally, Steelers-Lions. I like this matchup. The AFC North versus the NFC North. The Steelers feel like a team that should have been in the black and blue division all along. They were one of the NFL teams that jumped over to the AFC when they did the merger. And the Steelers won a Super Bowl at Ford Field in Detroit. Do you know Jerome Bettis? Last time Ben Roethlisberger is going to play in Ford Field unless he gets traded to a different team or gets cut and signs elsewhere. If he stays with the Steelers, he's not going to be back there eight years from now. Nostalgia, attention, the big stage of Sunday night football. I like what the Steelers can do in this one. And I like the message they sent to the rest of the locker room by shutting down Martavis Bryant four days in advance. If you complain, if you create a distraction and you're not a superstar player, you're going to get a consequence. It's going to be swift, it's going to be immediate, and it's going to be decisive. Sit down and shut up. The Lions coming off of a bye, but Matthew Stafford banged up with the ankle injury. Golden Tate's questionable for the game. I just don't think the Lions are good enough to beat the Steelers. Steelers have balance for the first time in a long time. The offense is dipping. The defense is improving. And it may be good enough on both sides of the ball to propel them very far into the postseason. Broncos Chiefs, we'll talk about that Monday. Who who cares about Broncos Chiefs today? We'll talk about it Monday. I need to go. It's toupee adjustment day. I really don't. You know, you could go a bunch of different levels with this. You could say that I joke about wearing a toupee. Because I don't, and I joke about it so easily that how would I joke about it if I actually wore one? Or it's really next-level stuff, that I joke about it to create the impression I don't, but I really do, and the ultimate cover is to joke that you have one. Meanwhile, my wife wants me to shave my head so everyone will see it's not a toupee. My concern is that it won't grow back if I do it. And also, there's looking like a complete and total dork, or, or to be fair, even more of a complete and total dork than how we look like. So, yeah, that, that wouldn't that be something? Hey, honey, you wanted me to shave my head. Here it is. Honey? Honey? We're, we're, hello? All right. That's it for me. Thanks to Benjamin Watts for some of his time. Thanks to you. The, the, the PFTPM podcast is growing relative to what it was because it was nothing not that long ago, but we're actually building a little momentum. And, and, and again, if you're listening right now, if you're hearing this right now, that means you like it. Whether you admit it or not, you'd like it. You'd like it. Subscribe, rate, review. Lather, rinse, repeat. ProFootballTalk.com. All weekend long. You know, every Sunday we got between 90 and 110 stories throughout the course of the day. So park on PFT. PFT Live Monday morning from Stamford, Connecticut with Chris Sims. The PFT PM podcast, Five Down Territory Edition on Monday afternoon. Should be a fun few days. Oh, 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 I forgot about the special edition. 
Tomorrow, special edition of the PFTPM podcast. Mark Garagos, the attorney representing Colin Kaepernick in his collusion claim. Looking forward to that one. Hopefully you will be too. So until next time, which apparently will be tomorrow. Have a great one. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.